Unless you planned on spending thousands of dollars on a rare vinyl copy of the Black Album, there's no need to pay a fee to listen to Cindy C. The song we'll be discussing on this episode of the Presser Wine Prince Lyrics Podcast. And joining me on this episode, again, is Rhonda Nicole. Welcome back to the show, Rhonda. Thank you so much, Jason. I'm excited to be here today. Great. I'm excited to have you because uh, we're we're at the Black Album now. And although it wasn't released in 1987 the way it was originally planned, this is how I'm covering this uh, album and the songs on the album. Because um, for me, these songs very much sound and have a distinct 80s vibe to them and i just have to i just have to talk about them while i'm in the decade so so that's why we're here today to talk about the second song off of the black album cindy c um you and i were last collaborated uh during the sign of the times we did play in the sunshine together that's a, yeah. a fun song cindy c's fun but it's it has some of the lyrics are a little more i don't know i wouldn't say darker but definitely have a bit more of an edge to them <laughs> than play in the sunshine <laughs> Yes. And a little bit more of a sexual edge too. Uh, certainly, lines that we'll get to as we start going through the lyrics. But um, it's for you, Rhonda. So I've been asking this question of other guests, and I will be future guests of the Black Album era episodes. Do you have a, like an own personal story related to this album? How you first heard it? How you came across it? And if you do, I would love to hear it. And so I'm sure the listeners would as well. Yes, actually. Um, so as you and I have discussed before, we're around the same age. So one of the cool things about a lot of these conversations that you're leading is that we're talking about music that we experienced in real time at a certain age. Um, and with the Black Album, um, I was in seventh grade, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And I had a friend, two friends actually, they they are brothers, whose father um, was one of the most popular radio show hosts in Dallas. Um, That would be, um, for for your listeners, uh, there was a radio station, er, urban radio station in Dallas that kind of ruled that time period in the 80s was uh, K104, KKDA FM, and uh, Tom Joyner, who went on to be one of the most celebrated nationally syndicated hosts uh, of radio, um, was the uh, the morning show host at that time. And so I went to school with Tom's sons, um, Oscar and Thomas. Oscar and I were in the same class. Thomas was a year ahead. And Tom on the air kept talking about the Black Album. I mean, people knew about it because, you know, as as you've probably already discussed, there were some um, preview pressings that went out before Prince was able to, you know, hit stop on everything. So radio got things, you know, some record stores got things. um, Yeah, some promo copies floating around. Yeah, so industry folks, so people had it, right? So, um Tom was talking about it on the air and, you know, basically not only talking about just the fact that he had it, but the fact that he couldn't play any of it (laughs) on the show. (laughs) And so I was able to borrow it. So basically Oscar got it from his dad. I don't remember whether he got it with his dad's permission or not, but he brought it to me at school. I smuggled it home thinking that my mom would surely know. My mom had no clue, but at that time, I thought that she, you know, because she listened to the radio too. So I thought, oh my God, she's going to see this black album, literally this black album sleeve in my book bag and she's going to go nuts. So I smuggled it home and then I made a tape of it 
um, on my record player. And the tape that I used, because I didn't have any blank tapes in my room, so I took one of my sister's that she had recorded. <laughs> <laughs> my sister's the 10 years older going. than I. <laughs> so I took one of my sister's, you know, like Maxell tapes or whatever, and she had recorded a Bob James album on it. And so I recorded the Black album over that. Never said anything to her. I just took the tape. <laughs> and then I gave, you know, Oscar his album back. But the way that I kept it hidden, if you will, was Bob James. So I could always know that that was the Black album because of Bob George. And it just said Bob James. And nobody knew. <laughs> no one was Apparently your sister didn't mind either. She never found out. <laughs> she never found out. So either she never looked for that tape again or she just assumed she'd lost it. And I think back in the day, you know, when we all had so many cassettes laying around, we probably lost a lot of stuff. So that was my Black Album experience, you know, in 87, 88, whenever that was. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then, of course, when they released it in the 90s, I got it on CD. But by that time, I was like, this is just to kind of have an official copy and not, not because I thought I was going to experience anything new with the music at that point. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool, I have to say, because... I would I would consider you very fortunate to have a friend who had somebody with a copy because that I mean there were people spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars on bootleg copies I imagine back in the day or or at least doing you know going through nefarious means to <laughs> access this album or you had to know somebody who knew somebody I guess in this case you knew yeah. somebody who knew somebody so that's how you were able to get it and it was interesting, too, because I remember looking at the album artwork, which, of course, there wasn't technically any, you know, it's just a black sleeve. But then there, so the, the sleeve itself was matte, but there was this shiny image, if you will, um, in the middle of it. And it was from one of the, you know, parade Cherry Moon photo outtakes. So that was weird. You know, it's like, wait... <laughs> um, and, of course, again, at that time, I had no understanding of how you know, prints worked or how records worked, like any of that kind of stuff. Um, and of course, it wasn't until much, much later that I understood that basically the album was going to be released with no name, no title, no attribution to the artist and no artwork. And so I think that I don't I don't know how whoever came with the idea to put, you know, this sort of secret image of Prince from a cherry moon photo moment in it. But it was, again, very, very strange. Um, but very cool at the same time. Yeah, because that image didn't find its way on the 94, the official 94 release. Not at all. It literally yeah. is just black paper. Yep, yep. <laughs> so. so that's a pretty pretty uh, rare copy if it has, or rare copies to have that image on it for sure. If it's, a, if it's legit, you know, and not just a, a bootleg recreation. Okay, well, that is, again, like I said, a very cool story. You were hearing it in real time, just like, you know, Prince had originally intended, instead of me listening to it for the first time in 1994 and thinking, well, this sounds pretty dated. <laughs> it's, not as, it's not as cool as everybody said. It, you know, the infamous Black Album, I remember, you know, the having a, a, a reputation, let's put it that way, and mm -hmm. by 1994, that it, it just didn't have the same you know the same luster attached to it so uh awesome for that and then cindy c i mean did you remember liking that song remember even knowing that it was about the model cindy crawford who i guess in 1987-88 she was a supermodel but she had not really crossed over to you know mainstream in terms of like television and movies much yet i don't think i knew 
at that point that it was about Cindy Crawford. Um, I, I liked the song. I actually remember doing a, a dance routine to it because I was really into dance in the junior high, middle school, early high school years. Um, so I, the first time I remember there being a reference made to Cindy Crawford, I was in high school, so early 90s. So a few years after I'd had the album and somebody just kind of, I remember a friend of mine was like, you know that song's about Cindy Crawford? But again, yeah, this is pre-internet. This is, you know, still a lot of um, mystery around the artists that we listen to and the entertainers that we have, you know, fascinations around. So, you know, I was like, oh, that's cool. But I didn't know, you know, I, I never really knew for sure. And then, you know, much, much later on, with that little tidbit of information, I started listening to the song differently. And I was like, oh, well, I can kind of hear some references but at the time when I first got it, I definitely did not put that together. I, I don't think that, that she was really part of my larger consciousness at that point early yeah. on. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And right, once you once you kind of unlock uh, a key, <laughs> um, pun intended, <laughs> once you unlock a key to this song and knowing who's about, even though it's not it's super coded, but it's at the same time, if that person that prince is singing about isn't a part of your world uh it, it isn't just it isn't going to click in the same way that it would after the fact and as we go through the lyrics it becomes pretty obvious but i have to admit as well because uh when i first heard it even in 1994 because the internet still wasn't a thing and i wasn't or if it was it was not something that i was really checking for a whole lot in 94 and using i didn't i just thought it was a song about you know a woman just some arbitrary random woman named cindy that prince was kind of lusting after so um yeah it took a little bit for me as well so definitely don't uh, feel feel like you missed the boat on that one i think a lot of us did <laughs> for sure okay so before we get started i just wanted to kind of relate the story how it's been told by cindy herself miss crawford mm -hmm. she told the story uh, after Prince's passing about how she met Prince and how she believes, or in, you know, in her opinion, the the origin of the story came from, or the origin of the song, I should say, came from a, a, a chance meeting at a New York City uh, dance floor at a club. I think she said it was called Nell's or something like that. And the way she says it, you know, she was dancing with her friends. She was in New York City, you know, 86, 87, dancing with her friends. And and I'll use her quote, a littler, a littler man came up, to, <laughs> came up and started dancing with her. And she's like, oh, wow, that's Prince, you know, because obviously by 86, 87, he was a megastar and she was just an up and coming, up and coming model. Um, and she doesn't like really mention anything about him uh, you know, hitting on her a whole lot or, you know, asking her to come home with him or just anything really forward. She doesn't suggest that a whole lot just like he danced with her and she thought it was cool and then kind of you know he went away and went back to wherever he was whoever else he was hanging out with and then to come to find out later she said as she tells the story that you know he wrote a song called cindy c and it was about her i think there was a rumor about a story going around how the this song was um, kind of formed based off of a, a different story about Prince and Cindy meeting in Paris. And then like he asked her out or something like that, or asked her to hang out with him that night. And she 
said no, but I think that time has kind of erased that part of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's the way I understand it is that the Paris story may not have been true and it was more likely the New York story, but that's really just coming from Cindy. I don't know if you've heard any other stories, Rhonda, besides that one. No, I haven't. Um, other than, like you said, kind of just rumors, you know, that, oh, you know, Prince asked her out or one of this, one of that. But, you know, I tend to try to let the people who are actually in the moment <laughs> be the arbiters of the truth of the moment. And obviously, you know, Cindy sharing that story after Prince's passing, I, I can't see why if there had been anything more to it, why she would have not, you know, shared that, right? So mm-hmm. not necessarily to be scandalous, but just to provide more context or to tell her story. So um, I definitely was familiar again, much, much later on, you know, after Prince's passing with Cindy's version of events that, you know, he just kind of started dancing with her on the dance floor. And I think that, you know, if we think about Prince as a songwriter, it's fair to say that, you know, he was inspired by a lot of different things and some things are very deeply autobiographical and other things may just be composites of different experiences or moments or thoughts. So, you know, you can't necessarily listen to the song and think that it's just, you know, this um, linear uh, through line, you know, so mm-hmm. it's you dance with Cindy C and now here's a little fun, little funky ditty about it um, that does kind of, you know, leave some things open to interpretation. But I feel like Cindy's account of what happened is probably what happened. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm going to go with that as well, because again, all the other stories have just been that rumors. They really haven't been as far as I can tell. Um, founded by any anecdotal evidence or stories told by people who were there. Right. Like was well, like was anybody at that Paris club that this allegedly happened where he hit on her and she rebuffed him? I I don't know. Somebody needs to come forward and and admit so um to provide again another another story to go along with this song, but right. for all, all as far as I know all we have is Cindy's account cuz Prince wasn't again one to really kind of explain his songs that wasn't his wasn't his thing. And uh, and which is fine, but yeah. I think I think a lot of people probably jumped to conclusions or wanted to start the rumors that it was something more than that because the the lyrics of the song kind of paint uh, maybe a little more of a a negative picture about like their their interaction. You know, like it was Prince does sound a little upset, maybe a little almost a little deranged in some aspects. <laughs> so I always kind of felt like this like. Prince said the black album was evil, you know, and he, he didn't he didn't want it to be the last thing people heard. It mm-hmm. was dark, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, it's not every song on this album isn't like that. I didn't I don't feel like the song that I just recorded, you know, previously, La Grind has a lot of darkness to it. Uh, people really obviously point to Bob George clearly because that has some some domestic violence and he's speaking in, you know, a much uh, lower tone that he eventually went called spooky electric but i think cindy c could be one of those songs that he also was referring to when he thought that this album was maybe a little too dark or evil because he he, he's kind of mean in this song yeah yeah he's kind of mean for sure for sure it's not a complimentary necessarily a complimentary song you know yeah yeah like if you're just gonna write a song about you that that might not be the one you want (laughs) Yeah, if you're just looking at it from the standpoint like, oh, I'm flattered he wrote a song about me, 
great. Uh, don't listen to the lyrics too closely, though. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> which I know she has. I mean, she claims that she knows, you know, she had that black album and knows the song very well. So obviously she's heard the lyrics. But um, yeah, it's it's not always so complimentary uh, in terms of the language he uses and some of the, the you know, the crude imagery he he portrays and, and presents here. So um, I think if you're ready, let's go through the lyrics because I kind of want to get through some of these aspects of the song that are a little bit more uh, troublesome, you know, uh, or problematic, I guess you would say today. Mm-hmm. Maybe they weren't so much in 86, 87, but even Prince must have felt like, yeah, maybe I maybe I crossed the line a little bit on that song. And this is one of the pieces or one of the reasons why he chose to pull the Black Album. It couldn't have just been because of Bob George. Sure. All right, so the first verse of the song. This song's about a high-class model over in Paris, France. If I get a camera, tell me, will you dance? If I take a picture in the middle of the night, will you fuck with me? Sugar, say it's all right. Come on. And okay, so I, I, I read the lyrics that are on the internet where he says, will you fuck with me? But I honestly don't know for a fact that he says that. Um, because it sounds like funk, too. And this could be another erotic city funk or fuck. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just read it that way. Just I'm putting that out there right now. If anybody else has ever like, oh, I didn't know he said the F word in the song. I don't know for a fact that he does either. So just laying that out there right off the bat. Okay, so this first verse, Rhonda, I think it's pretty clear. Uh, high class model, Paris, France. And this is another example why um maybe people cited that paris location for their interaction because uh he mentions paris right there in the second line of the song about a high-class model in paris france i mean cindy's not from paris she's not french she's she's from illinois you know she's like a chicago (laughs) suburb midwestern midwestern girl just like prince is a midwestern boy so um but you know i mean i'm sure she traveled a lot to paris Sure. Uh, early sure. in her career, and um, so you know, he might have become aware of her when he was over in Paris in you know eighty five, eighty six for Under the Cherry Moon, and he was doing all that work for that recording. I mean, the, this recording was according to Princefeld in spring of eighty seven, right? But he could have, you know, he could have wrote the song at least the lyrics, if nothing else, before that. So, um, yeah. So like with the first verse, Rhonda, like what do you? What do you find interesting here? Obviously, um, the reference to Paris. And and one of the things that I was kind of kicking around in my head is that there is a lot of um, lore from people who were part of Prince's camp around that time, Jerome, Wally, et cetera, where they talk about, you know, all the girls in Paris that they used to chase and so forth when they were over there shooting Cherry Moon. So it's not impossible that again you know he might have been literally referencing cindy or he may have been referencing any number of other women that he met during that particular time in his life when he was um 
in, you know, Paris and in, you know, other parts of France and, you know, obviously enjoying being a young man with a lot of money and a lot of access and fame and so forth and having, you know, beautiful women um, available to him. But yeah, I think that um, to your point about, you know, whether or not he says the F word or if it's funk or what have you, I love the fact that with Prince's music, that word comes up a lot. <laughs> um, and sometimes it sounds like he's saying F-U-N-K and sometimes it sounds like he's saying F-U-C-K and sometimes he's alternating them. And I think that to me, it feels like Prince kind of used those words use those words almost interchangeably. Like they almost have a very similar meaning to him. Um, but I think in the context of the Black Album, especially as this song is sequenced after Le Grind, mm, it probably is F-U-C-K. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he definitely dropped some F-bombs in Le Grind as well. And we'll, it, for the rest of the album here and there. Yeah. So he, was, he wasn't afraid. I mean, he was, yeah, I don't this album would have gotten a parental advisory sticker. I'm certain of it if it was going to get released. Uh, I know they were still kind of fleshing that out in 1987. They weren't all, they didn't have like the consistent parental advisory, explicit lyrics uh, stickers that you would find after a certain time where they all became very homogenous and they looked exactly the same. They kind of, there was a variety of them, but this, I can imagine this album would have been, slap with one of those hardcore as long as you could as long as you could hear what he was saying like in this song he could always plead ignorance like no i said funk (laughs) and you can't prove me otherwise but bob george no it's pretty clear that he says the f word there um yeah so like even the model just the fact that he says high class models in paris france to your point yes he could have been meeting lots of different women over there and having you know parties and hanging out with other high-class models it doesn't have to be specifically cindy and that's why i think there's some you know there's definitely some weight to your statement that or at least the assertion that uh you know as a songwriter prince often would take inspiration from a lot of different things and then mold it together and give us a song about it so he could have been hanging out with quote-unquote high-class models in paris france with his boys didn't have to be Cindy. And then, you know, he, later he's going to be singing more specifically about this particular high class model. So yeah. yeah, it's, it's just one of those things where, um, it could be a little bit of, a little bit of truth, a little bit of fiction and a little bit of artistic license for sure. Tell me, will you dance? I'll, if I take a picture in the middle of the night. So the picture line again, just kind of seems to refer to this person's career, you know, models and cameras and taking a photo that's basically what they do for a living people take photos of them for a living that's how they make their money so just more references to kind of like the model life and and him using using that uh you know in a a clever way because now he's not talking about necessarily you know you're going to model for money now you're just going to model for me in the middle of the night because yes i think prince kind of liked the idea of uh, capturing some intimate moments on either camera or film in some form or fashion. And what he did, he mentions this in other songs before. So, yeah. And then, you know, later in 319, I mean, that's kind of the whole premise. <laughs> yep. um, so, um, yeah, I, there's a definitely an element of taking a picture in the middle of the night that's very alluring and sexy. And, and it does, you know, point to intimacy, you know, obviously, 
if you're taking someone's picture in the middle of the night, well, not necessarily, obviously, because some people are creepy, but you're, you're there with them. <laughs> like there is, yeah. there has already been, um, but at the same time, um, it does kind of leave the question, like, is she sleeping while you're taking this picture or, you know, is she aware that you're taking these pictures? So definitely, uh, again, an interesting lyric and an interesting visual to, to ponder. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Could go either way, depending on your perspective and depending on your, you know, your thoughts on, uh, photos and whether or not they can be looked at as kind of uh, a creep move or really kind of sexual and um, arousing and um, you know kind of fun it just depends on the person depends on the relationship and depends on the moment okay so that's the first verse of the song and then basically we get the chorus after that in the chorus and i'll mention what i'll do is i'll say the lines that prince sings but there's a lot of uh, background vocals on this song Mm-hmm. and a lot of uh, kind of echoes or additional lines that are being told in the background. So to avoid confusion, I'm just going to sing like the straightforward sections, and then I'll speak to the background. So Prince says, Cindy C, will you play with me? Cindy C, I'll pay the fee. And in the background, you hear Cindy C, play with me. I will pay the usual fee. What's it going to be? Cindy C, play with me. I will pay the usual fee. What's it going to be? So they say that. I think it's Cat. I'm not 100% sure. I looked at Prince Fault, and there's some a number of different women that are given background vocal credits on the song besides Cat. There's also Sheila and Bonnie Boyer. And, and Jill. He, and Jill, <laughs> even though it says uncredited, unconfirmed. So I'm like, I don't know. Who knows? But It's everybody. Um, everybody. <laughs> anybody who was there had a chance to sing on the song, apparently. So regardless of who's actually singing these lines or, you know, if it's multiple, multiple women, um, this chorus mentions the play with me part and paying the fee part. And the paying the fee line is the one that I think is a little kind of rude <laughs> in a way, yeah. I think, unless somebody has an alternate take. But if somebody says, I'll pay the fee for you to play with me, that that implies, you know, some sort of level of uh, prostitution. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does, which is which is yeah strange. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's it's strange, but it also it's kind of biting, you know. It's it's like if almost he's saying, and I'm get I'm guessing again, every time I say something like in these in these lyrics that sound a little bit sketchy or rude, it probably added these these are the lines that added to the lore of the song, I would imagine. So, you know, the tales that people told about how prince and cindy crawford met and how she rebuffed him and said no you know i don't want to hang out with you i don't um, uh you know i'm not interested and kind of as a as a response you know if if somebody's hurt or angry maybe they'll say well you know maybe you won't hang out with me for free but if i pay you will you <laughs> you know just kind of as a, a little bit of a dick move or just somebody yeah. who's somebody who's hurt somebody who wants to lash out um they can start you know being hurtful in that way because Cindy was starting to, you know, gain some notoriety. She was on the cover of Vogue, which we'll talk about in the next, (laughs) in the next verse. So she was kind of becoming the, the it girl in terms of uh, the modeling agent or, you know, the modeling um, life. And, and uh, in, in that respects, she wasn't as popular as him, but she was pretty young. She would have been about 20 around this time. 
Prince was still in his 20s, but, you know, later 20s. And um, I don't know, maybe, you know, she maybe in her mind, there was never really an opportunity to date. And Prince could have been using this as more of just like, you know, fantasy. Uh, writing these lyrics is kind of like a an inspired fantasy, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I've never really liked the chorus. I've Even when I was very young and heard it, it, it didn't sound kind. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, and that was, for me, at that point in my Prince listening, you know, you had songs like Darling Nikki where he's a little aggressive and um, other songs where he doesn't seem to be, you know, irresistible bitch, which is not really hurtful necessarily, but it, it's definitely, you know, very raw and edgy. But this really kind of seemed like a dig. And, and I've, I've wondered over the years, you know, on the occasion that I listened to the song, because I don't listen to it a lot, um, if, you know, he's referring to how some supermodels, especially back in the 80s and 90s, like, you know, I don't get out of bed for less than $10,000. So, you know, was he just kind of trying to be sarcastic and make a joke? Um, or did he really, you know, to your point, was he really talking about paying her almost like she's an escort or, you know, prostitute or what have you? It's mm-hmm. it's bizarre. You know, it's a weird, it's a really weird song. And, and I think that um, as, you know, from a musical standpoint, as kind of funky and, you know, danceable as it is, lyrically, it's got a lot of question marks. And, and the yeah. chorus is definitely a question mm-hmm. mark, you know. And again... Is he really talking about Cindy Crawford in that sense, or is he just again kind of talking to any number or about any number of real or imagined experiences that he's just wanting to kind of put out there? You know, yeah. who knows? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, I just, it's interesting the "Will You Play with Me" line because um, about a year prior he had recorded that song with miles davis that showed up on the sign of the times super deluxe album yeah last year can i play with you and it's a little bit of a take on that will you play with me can i play with you it's basically asking the same question just in a different way um you know not he it's not like he wrote these two songs or recorded these two songs at least back to back where you would expect sometimes similar language to bleed into songs uh as a somebody who's covering his songs from a lyrical standpoint i see that a lot it's it's easy to know when a song was recorded approximately based on some of the unique language he uses based off of that i would have almost expected the song to have been written earlier which i guess it could have been again prince fault is pretty vague on the the writing they don't have firm understanding of when the song was written when it was recorded it's not the same thing of course um, as you know, as a as a musician as well, you can write a song in 2010 and record it in 2021. Right. Um, so, you know, it's 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 just interesting, you know, the similarities between those two lines. And those lines by themselves are pretty innocuous. You know, will you play with me is just kind of a another way of saying, will you, you know, will you engage me in conversation or will you have sex? I mean, it could mean anything. Well, will you engage me in conversation to, will you have sex with me and anything in between? It's so vague that it can be literally almost anything just involving the two of them and whatever it is that they end up doing. And the lines in the background with the women saying, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? Do seem a little aggressive too. Like she has to make this, she has to come up with a, an answer. Like they're pressuring her 
into responding, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? Will you play with me? What's it going to be? I'll pay the usual fee. So that's that adds a little bit for me to the to kind of the the pushy nature of of this song. Yeah. And we don't really we don't hear from Cindy in quotation marks. Like there's there doesn't ever seem to be you know, because in a lot of Prince's songs, he tells a, a story of, you know, the narrator and the object of affection, you know, kind of having a back and forth. There's a dance. I think about the song, uh, for example, My Medallion, which is, you know, much, much older or, or I guess much, much more recent, if you want to look at yeah. it that way, where there's this very funny exchange between, you know, him in theory, you know, as the narrative voice and the woman who steals his necklace and all this stuff that's happening. And it's just chaotic and hilarious. But here we don't, we don't hear from her, which is, I think, kind of unusual for Prince. Like he's, he typically seems to tell a, a story where the characters involved are really part of the conversation, even if it's just representative and background vocals. And here it's almost like the background vocals are his wingmen or wingwomen. Yeah. Like it's yeah. not, but it's not the person to whom he's speaking or referencing. No, you're exactly right. That's what it feels like with these background, the backing vocals. They sound like just people surrounding him. And that's why it almost feels, it feels like they're ganging up on her. Yeah, it's taunting. Yeah, exactly. In a way. Like they're being bullies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm laughing about bullying a woman, but because, you know, again, this isn't something that really happened to her. Thankfully, Cindy has spoken about it. So it's not like, yeah, Prince and his, and his posse came up to me and they were... <laughs> pressuring me to to join him in the vip section and i was really uncomfortable no we don't have yeah. any stories about that so you know whether it was just it's basically fiction as far as we can tell okay then moving on to the uh next verse this one's an interesting one Super fine heifer, I saw you in the Vogue. I knew you would be trouble from word go. I'll give you seven sips of elderberry wine. Maybe we'll unlock the secrets of your mind. Okay, Rhonda, <laughs> help me out here. Help me out here. Super fine. Okay, I get that. Mm -hmm. So I've always understood heifer as a slang term to mean somebody who's overweight or maybe slovenly or it's usually negative right I mm -hmm. mean, isn't, it, isn't it usually negative it, it typically is but i think a lot of times when we're you know talking about you know aabe african-american vernacular english um or just you know kind of black cultural speak we can use certain terms and heifer would be one of them um, like I know from my own experience, I might, you know, be listening to somebody and be like that heifer is singing her face off and it's, it's the way it's said, you know, it's, it's the intonations and so forth. So I think in this case, he's not using it. It, it, it would almost be akin to irresistible bitch. Like we all, we all understand that bitch is an offensive term, but that there are ways that we use it in 
how we, you know, in pop culture conversation, if you will, where it's understood by inflection and intonation and context to not um, be offensive or it's not meant to be offensive. It's actually meant to be a term of endearment or empowerment. Mm -hmm. So I think in this case, he's using it in the sense of the, like, instead of saying this super fine bitch, you know, which in the context of it's a model, it's Prince, it's this, that, and the other, we would understand it that it's not meant to, to mean, you know, bitch in the offensive sense, but it's still, I mean, why say that instead of saying woman? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, syllabically woman would have fit too, you know, but again, I think it, 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 it adds a little bit of, um, maybe some humor and a little bit of just kind of contemporary language. Um, but I don't think that he meant it in a harmful way. No, I can't imagine either. And and (laughs) and context, context is everything. So I never heard it to be negative because how do you, I mean, she's super fine. I mean, that's how he <laughs> right? it off. So to, to, to use that to, to lead off, uh, you know, you know, the adjective and then to say that she's a heifer, you just have to understand like, okay, in the context of this phrase, it's all positive. Like he's meaning right. it in a good way. Yeah. It's just, I had never really heard personally. I never heard heifer used too often in a in a positive way when somebody's referring to somebody else but certainly you know i'm not a, i'm not listening to you know a lot of people talk about other people and call them heifers period so i don't have a lot of experience with it so yeah sure it's that not it's a happened. word that he used that i am familiar with him using very often in in other songs no makes the song unique though it's certainly a line that sticks out and i think it's a line a lot of people you know remember from this song i would say uh, then we got the references to Vogue, and I uh, kind of already alluded to that. I looked it up because I was kind of curious how many Vogue covers did Cindy Crawford have about the time that the song would have been recorded. So in 1986, she she had three covers, three Vogue covers in 1986. And in 1987 alone, she had 11. Man, so wow. she was all over Vogue in those two years. I mean, especially in 87, but starting off in 86... She would have been uh, like 20. I forget if she was born in 65 or 66. I don't recall. Um, Google would tell me that. But regardless, she was very young. And um, yeah, but by 87, 11 covers of Vogue. So she was all over. You know, this was basically starting her ubiquity in in pop culture. Um, And I think it was only like a couple years later she was... On MTV on that House of Style show. I don't know if you remember that at all. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I do. Yeah, it was kind of a big deal there for a while on MTV. And then she she was on Super Bowl halftime commercial with Pepsi for, you know, she was promoting Pepsi. And she was everywhere. She was everywhere for a little bit. And I think it was really starting to ramp up here in about 87 as evidenced by the number of covers she got. And then shortly after that, her MTV gig and then she married Richard Gere, so she was kind of attached to a famous actor, and then, anyway, so then she started branching out into acting herself. But yeah, just just making a comment about that, because he does mention her seeing her in Vogue. I saw you in the Vogue, as he says. I knew you would be trouble from the word go, and this is where I just kind of take that to mean he knew that that she was, you know, basically going to be trouble for him to ignore like somebody who's difficult to ignore because of her beauty and 
and I guess he just saw something must have, or he's saying that he saw something in her that makes him think, man, I'm going to, I'm going to be thinking about this woman for a while that she's going to be trouble for me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm still stuck on the number of covers that she had just in that short period of time. It's amazing. <laughs> and again, yeah. you know, like, like I said, she was kind of everywhere. So you didn't even necessarily pay attention to, you know, it's like, Oh, it's Cindy Crawford. Like we just became accustomed to seeing her. That's pretty dope. Yeah, and you know, I guess models by design, especially before they become supermodels, they're not supposed. I mean, you're not supposed to necessarily notice them specifically. Like they're supposed to be almost like blank slates, right? Yes, like, and that was kind of the whole fascination with the evolution of the supermodel is that we we knew their names and we knew their we knew everything about them. I mean, they they really were kind of the precursor to the internet influencers that we have now. They're like. Yeah, but they were it was it was pretty fascinating to start out, you know, kind of not knowing most of the time who a model was. You knew their faces, but nothing else. They were silent. And then they become spokespeople and, and you know, uh, brand ambassadors. And obviously they're still models, but they have we hear their voices and we know their names and we get to know their personalities. That was a that was a cool time. Yeah, it's certainly interesting. And I do wanted to bring out the elderberry wine reference because Prince, again, doesn't make a lot of references to alcohol in his songs. Mm-hmm. Not a ton, not a ton. I mean, it's not like he never did, but he didn't do it a lot. Um, and when he did do it, of course, it was going to be, you know, pre-JW. But uh, I think, like, I, I could come up with pre-1986, 87, just a couple of notable examples. Um I'll bring the music, baby. You bring the wine from just as long as we're together. And then (laughs) the references to banana daiquiris and another lonely Christmas, but there might be others. I just, I didn't spend a lot of time diving into the number of different alcohol references Prince had in his music pre 1987, but this is just another one. I'll I'll give you seven sips of elderberry wine. Of course, have to mention seven because that's Prince's number. (laughs) (laughs) Um, too many, too many, again, too many references to the number seven to to really kind of cite and count here. But just know anybody who's listening, that seven wasn't act, wasn't an accident. <laughs> and also, was he like, was he referencing Manischewitz? Like what? Because in my mind, when you say elderberry wine, I'm like, first of all, it does not sound delicious and it does not sound sophisticated. Um, no. <laughs> it sounds no, like... me neither. Um, so what exactly is he talking about? I, again, you know, only Prince knows what he meant there, but it's it's a weird, um, curious reference. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. It's a little out there. I mean, I don't, like, I don't, what? I don't even know if I've ever had elderberry wine. To be quite honest with you. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I like I said, in referencing Manischewitz, that's the first thing that came to my mind. And I've had that, but again, that's not something that I would think that Prince would just have sitting in his hotel suite. Why would that be there? <laughs> Seven sips of it, though. The things that I would have loved to have been able to ask him if I'd ever had a chance to interview him, like, let's talk about this. This is strange. Yeah. Tell me. Yeah. So. <laughs> and then the lines, maybe we'll unlock the secrets of your mind. Almost just kind of telling me mm-hmm. he's just trying to get her drunk. That's just like his... Fancy yeah. way of saying, I'd like to get you a little tipsy. Maybe not drunk. I mean, only seven, seven sips. Probably seven not going to get her drunk. <laughs> but but then again, those models don't weigh a whole lot and they don't eat a whole lot. So maybe seven <laughs> sips is enough. <laughs> you know, and, and loosen her up. I mean, I think, unfortunately, 
in our contemporary understandings, we, we recognize that as not necessarily being the most um, generous thing to do, but um, there are so many pop culture references to, you know, sipping something or smoking something or taking something to loosen up or giving it to someone to loosen them up, um, help them relax, whatever, you know, it, it's, yeah. I don't, I wouldn't go so far as to say again, that it's harmless. Cause it's, again, certainly in a contemporary context, it, it doesn't feel, it feels creepy. You know, it doesn't feel lovely, but um, it also kind of tracks with, so much else that we've heard in rock and roll throughout the you know history of the genre, so it kind of fits in with other thematic ideas uh, in the in music that we hear. Yeah, yeah, well said. Because that's really what it's all about. It's it it isn't great, but it is what it is, and there's a lot of examples of that. And uh, this is just another one on top of the pile and pile of examples of. And, and it's not just music. I mean, you know, you said pop culture. So in, in books and films and TV shows, you know, hey, t- uh, take a drink of this and, you know, relax, calm down. And um, that's what that's kind of what it's intended to say, I think. All right. So then the chorus again is the same. Cindy C, play with me. That's the background. Will you play with me? I'll pay the fee. So I don't think we need to talk about that again. Then we get to what I guess on the lyric sheet is called an interlude. kind of where there's some lines that again there's Prince singing and then you hear some background <coughs> stuff so the passion's in the mix then in the uh-huh. background you hear serve it up Sheila drink it quick Cindy shit where'd you get that beauty mark maybe you and I should be undressing don't all girls look the same they don't oh what a shame Cindy Cindy I'll pay the usual fee what's the matter don't you like me and I think somebody in the background saying, then help me, tell me what it's all about. And then he goes right into the next verse, but we'll we'll take a pause there. Uh, so here, I, I did want to bring up the Serve It Up Sheila. I want to mention that because i got to think that he's, that's a reference to Sheila E. Mm-hmm. And then also, in just the previous song, in, in La Grind, there's the Serve It Up Frankie line, which I'd already talked about on that episode about uh, who's that referencing. So I just think it's kind of fun, like in back-to-back songs. You have somebody saying "serve it up," comma somebody's name. <laughs> just... Yes, and of course, um, I'm sure you covered this with Lagrine, but "serve it up, Frankie" is in reference to Frankie Knuckles. Yeah. Um, yep. And then, of course, I absolutely agree that "serve it up, Sheila" is Cat talking to Sheila, and then we get a really, you know, nice drum solo from Sheila. So it's it's like it's it's a directive. You know, a studio directive, if you will, as well as, you know, actually just kind of part of the the banter in the song. And I think you've got some interesting play with Kat and Sheila and Prince and all of that happening in the song, both lyrically and musically. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And I think the starting off this little section of lines with the passions in the mix, drink it quick. I think that's still referring to the elderberry wine that he's mm-hmm. having her sink sip. So it's just kind of like these two, this whole concept of her taking a few sips of alcohol is, you know, what he's trying to, um, is going on here in the song. He's wanting her to drink up that, those seven sips of elderberry wine. Um, but yeah, the where'd you get that beauty mark line is another one of those very clear references to Cindy Crawford. I mean, that was kind of one of her um, more distinguishing features that people really could identify for her was the beauty mark that she had on her face. So again, if you weren't sure who the song was about and you start listening to it, it becomes very clear <laughs> with some of these lines for sure. Uh, I like Absolutely. the don't all girls look the same. They don't. What a shame line, because I just think it's kind of his really kind of weird way of you know paying her a, a very high compliment. It's an, it's an interesting way to compliment somebody like they, they don't look the same. OK, Cindy's a, maybe a little more beautiful than the average woman. Uh, and it's like he's having a conversation again with himself where there's no, you don't hear anything. So if he's saying, don't all girls look the same, they don't. I mean, is what is she supposed to be saying? No, I'm, I'm more beautiful than most women. That's, that would be, that would be kind of a weird thing for her to do. I don't know. Yes, Maybe unless I, he's, unless he's talking to his guys again, his, his crew. I, you know, I've always heard that line kind of as him sort of playfully addressing the woman, whether it's Cindy, again, you know, Cindy for real, obviously, maybe not, um, you know, but, you know, you and I should be undressing, don't all girls look the same, they don't, oh, what a shame. It, it almost feels like um, a slick compliment, you know, oh, everyone is not as beautiful as you. Oh my God. You know, like something along those lines, but it's how I've, I've always heard it. You know, again, yeah. it's, it's, it's definitely um, a departure from how we typically hear Prince referring to women and, and engaging with women in his lyrics um, most of the time. <laughs> so yeah. It's yeah. definitely, it's an outlier in that sense, but I think that it's just kind of a, a play, a little playful banter between him and, and this person, yeah. this, this Cindy clever. person. It's clever. I thought I like it. Uh, but then, but then he has to kind of ruin it <laughs> with, with, I'll pay the usual fee. What's the yeah. matter? Don't you like me? <laughs> so he's like really kind of, you know, uh, complimenting her and he's starting to think like, okay, okay maybe this is going to work out. Maybe he doesn't have to be quite so crude. But then you get at the very end, the again the line about you know paying her, and uh, you have to assume that she's. If you're envisioning how the song is playing out in real time, you have to envision like it's not going so well for him. <laughs> at this right, point. it does not sound like he's winning a lot of points with this lady. Yeah, what's the matter? Don't you like me? I mean, typically that is not something you would say to somebody if you are feeling like they're into you or it's. The, the interaction's going well, or if you're getting a, a mutual vibe back. I mean, this is... Yeah. It, feel, it very much feels like he's really aggressively pursuing her, and she's either playing hard to get, or is, you know, giving him vibes that she's not interested, not, not engaging him in the same way that a woman who would be very interested in him would do, possibly, like, just kind of you know, turning around, talking to her friends or just not really paying him the attention that 
he's expecting or thinks that he has earned at this point, which again makes the song why it makes the song a little bit more problematic in a in a modern context as we've talked about. Absolutely, and it, it and again it doesn't it doesn't really fit with other narratives, you know, that we have of his. We very seldom really hear Prince engaging in a way where it seems like he's not going to get the girl, you know. Now, of course, there's plenty of songs where he's lost the girl he got, <clears throat> excuse me, um, but not in the sense of I'm actively pursuing and she's like, no. The closest <laughs> I can even think of it is in Pete where he says, she's so cool and I'm so ugly. But still, you know, it, he's not aggressively, you know, going after. He's just kind of admiring her from afar, you know. Um, yeah. he, here, he, it's very in your face. Yeah, Prince is striking out. <laughs> he's striking out on the song. Yeah, man. <laughs> and, he, and he doesn't like it at all. <laughs> no. He doesn't like it. And it, it does It does make this song that much more interesting, though, because how boring is it to hear somebody write a song always about how how amazing they are at picking up women that gets a little old. It's right. <laughs> I, it does. It does endear the song a bit to me because again, you know, most men strike out at some point in their life. I, I, I can't imagine every man who's ever pursued a woman or, you know, pursued another man for that matter, always being a hundred percent success rate. That's just, is not realistic. So, I mean, yeah, most people don't write songs about their failures, but I think there's room for it. There's certainly room for, you know, writing songs about successes and failures. And this is maybe a song about a potential romantic failure that Prince is uh, singing about, which makes Absolutely. it fascinating to me. And and to your point, even more fascinating is that if none of this happened in real life, but he's just kind of thinking about, what if I had actually, you know, tried to, and this is probably what have happened, she would have been like, please get out of my face. You know, like that even he might have a sense of humor about himself to imagine that if he had tried to pursue her, it would have gone just so dramatically bad, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I think, you know, in, in imagining the worst case scenario, if you will, where this rock star which is you know clearly what he was by that point is approaching you know this beautiful supermodel and attempts to you know get her attention and her affection and he just gets totally you know kicked to the curb and then he goes and writes a song about you know what what if that had really happened since it's it's rather doubtful that it did so yeah no i think that that's a good point and uh i like the imagery of of prince just kind of envisioning that I met her, I danced with her, but I didn't really pursue it. Maybe his own insecurities stepped in and was like, yeah, I don't know. She's a really young, budding supermodel. Do you have what it takes? And let me say, uh, let me write a song about a situation that could have potentially happened if I would have, like, if we would have played this out, this is one potential outcome. Yes. Um, and how how would I react to that? And And the answer to that is not great. <laughs> Not great. People don't like rejection. Nobody likes to be rejected. So, you know, I mean, I guess if it's better to, I guess in my opinion, it's better to um, write a song about rejection where than than actually doing some of these things in real life. Like if yes. you need, if you need an outlet to get off some frustrations, or that's what art's for, right? It certainly can <laughs> be for that. I'm talking about a long crucial day. Girl, if I have to 
people will see you in your birthday suit tonight I'm sure quite intelligent A wizard math and all that shit But I'm, I'm a tad more interested in flying your kite tonight Baby, is that All right, so the next verse, I'm talking about a long, crucial wait. Girl, if I have to beg, I'm going to see you in your birthday suit tonight. I'm sure you're quite intelligent. A whiz at math and all that shit. But I'm, I'm a tad more interested in flying your kite tonight. Cindy, is that all right? And then he says, uh, oh, Cindy C., will you play with me? I'll pay the usual fee. Uh, this one's interesting. I like this one. Again, because he's singing like in his lower register here, but you have another woman's vocals in the background. Sounds like Cat to me, but I'm not 100% sure. So this this air this song this section of the song is a little bit chaotic because you have a lot of things going on. You've got, <laughs> so you got Prince's vocals. You got Prince's vocals that I just that I just uh, spoke to. But in the background, you have again who I think is Cat saying things like Cindy C. Listen, she's so tired. Look at me. She doesn't look as good as I do. You think she does? But think again. And and okay, I sh- really what I need to do is I need to read the lines, each one because they're almost like responses. So if he says, "I'm talking about a long crucial wait," she says, "Cindy, see, listen, girl, if I have to beg, she's so tired. I'm gonna see you in. Look at me. Your birthday suit tonight. She doesn't look as good as I do. I'm sure you're quite intelligent. You think she does? But I think again. See." A whiz at math and all that shit. How about that? But I'm I'm a tad more interested. Haha, <laughs> look. She can't even walk in those shoes. I can walk better than that. I like that. <laughs> that one's funny. <laughs> she can't even walk in those shoes. I can walk better than that. And that's probably referring to like some, you know, high heels or something mm-hmm. like that. In flying your kite tonight, she can't even dance. Cindy, is that all right? I would give something to know how she ever sees anyone. Uh... So anyway, yeah, very chaotic, but <laughs> but fascinating because Prince wrote all that. It's not like uh, I, I assume. I assume Cat didn't just ad lib that stuff. So he's kind of like playing this, uh, or trying to maybe portray a situation like in Purple Rain, where Jill Jones was the woman on the, in the back, uh, admiring admiring the kid, but all the kid could see was Apollonia. It right. almost feels a little bit like this. You've got this woman who who's you know kind of putting cindy down the cindy c of the song putting her down in order to kind of make herself like you know shine a little brighter in in, you know the narrator's viewpoint that's what i get from it a little bit absolutely um i've always liked this part of the song is one from a lyrical perspective it very much resituates prince in 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 his element where he's like you know, I'm a big, I want you, I'm just going to lay it all out there on the line. And it doesn't feel quite as invasive as some of the other lyrics of the song. It, it kind of puts him back in his, I'm in control of the situation, but really she's in control of me and whatever she wants me to do, I'm going to do it so that, you know, she will let me see her in her birthday suit. Um, but it also evokes a lot of the imagery in the play between Prince and Kat at the time. So if you think back to like the You Got the Look video where she's trying to get his attention and he's talking and singing with Sheena Easton and at the end of it, you know, she drags him up the stairs. 
and there's that competitiveness where cats either in real life or as the caricature that they've created, the persona they've created for her within the context of the band is always trying to get Prince's attention, always trying to show that she's a better dancer, she's prettier, she's finer, she's hotter, whatever. And that's exactly what you're hearing here. And so whether that's meant to really be Kat, you know, I, I think that it is Kat saying the the, the lines, but yeah, whether it it's meant like to it. really be her for real, for real, or just kind of another woman who's in, in the moment where this is, you know, this whole thing is playing out. And he's like, she's not, she's not all that. I mean, it's so, it, it's something that happens in real life, you know, where the guy or the girl you're interested in is completely distracted by some other person and you're sitting there thinking, you know, they, they can't do blah, blah, blah. Um, and I love, you know, I'm sure you're quite intelligent, a wizard math and all that shit. The way he sings that is so funny to me. He's like, listen, sure that you got it, you know, 800 on your math SATs or whatever <laughs> tonight. Don't care about that. You might be brilliant, but there is only one thing that I'm focused on. And to me, that's very funny. It's again, it kind of puts Prince back in the lyrical space that we're accustomed to, where he's like, I'm going to learn all of these things about you. Yes, yes, you're smart. You went to Harvard. A oh, great, but take your clothes off. You know, like <laughs> right now, <laughs> let's just focus on this one thing. And there is some something that's a little bit to me humorous about that so long as it's not again you know in the same aggressive invasive sense of some of the other lyrics of this song yeah absolutely that's why i like this verse so much because it is more humorous um and then of course i another metaphor that i've really never heard before uh i'm a tad more interested in flying your kite tonight okay yeah <laughs> i've never heard that used uh in reference to sex ever. nope <laughs> Nope, me neither. But he got, you know, he he's pretty creative when it comes to those those uh, metaphors for sex. We should almost make a book about a coffee table book of metaphors for sex by Prince. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> that'll be my that'll be my post uh, pro podcast project. Okay, um, yeah, that verse is fun and that does lighten the mood a little bit. And then um, we get, I think he says. Uh, two organ solos to go which doesn't really have a lot of meaning in terms of you know the lyrics of the song it's just kind of like a again just a reference to the music um and we have some more cindy c's cindy c's you know lots of i will pay the usual fee that kind of stuff um before we get into the bridge and i think the bridge is yeah the bridge is where he's doing this kind of spoken word thing a very common trope in prince music Excuse my savoir faire, but baby, I'm dying to take you everywhere. I want to show you to my friends, because baby, you're the living end. Let me have a debt worth winning. I can feel your ice is thinning. Like a frozen pond in spring, your furry melting thing awaits me. Your furry melting thing awaits me in my six string. Hmm. Okay. All right. So just right out, right, the very first line, excuse my savoir faire is 
interesting because I always take savoir faire when it's used like in this context to mean like sophistication and then suave, you know, and just to be like I'm I'm you know very socially adept. Mm-hmm. So excuse excuse my suaveness. Excuse <laughs> excuse me for being so uh, sophisticated. I don't know. I mean, I, maybe it's just his way of saying excuse me. Excuse uh, me for being so forward. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's curious because I've always wondered did he did he misuse the word um, unknowingly, or to your point, was he you know trying to kind of say excuse excuse the fact that I'm so fly and I'm so you know which <laughs> right. is completely on brand for Prince and I would not at all be surprised if he knew exactly what he what he was doing with using such an interesting turn of phrase there. This this part of the song has always made me a little bit like you know because again you know like I was like twelve or thirteen when I first heard it, he's like I'm like you're furry what. That yeah. <laughs> that imagery, I was like, "That's not you," you know. Like, yeah, it's pretty, now, cr- it's pretty cringy. <laughs> it's pretty cringy, and even now at age forty six, I'm like, I feel like if a guy said that to me, I'd be like, "You know what? Let's do this another time when you can <laughs> manage yourself better." Because this is that's not sexy. But um, but again, it works in the con- it, well. It works not because it's brilliant or intriguing <laughs> or you know nuanced, but Considering the rest of the album, you know, it's 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 on par. The the thing about the black album is that it just completely Prince leaves all of his sophistication and his um, ability to be evocative with with imagery, and he kind of goes. The, the whole album is very on the nose. You know, it's it's not subtle. It's not nuanced. It's not really higher level of writing. So. Um, it works in the context of the album, but it, it is cringy as all get out still all these years later. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is for sure. Um, and, he, and he just, and he repeats it. So it's like, he really was selling that line. Your furry, <laughs> your furry melting thing awaits me. And then, and then, <laughs> like, and then to follow that up <laughs> and then to follow that up with in my sixth string. Yeah. Okay. Is that, so is that again, a euphemism for, for his <laughs> penis? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's obviously Probably. a reference to a good, it's a reference to a guitar, but when said right behind your furry melting thing awaits me, it gives me the impression that he's also referring to his his dick, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and obviously, if you think of the imagery of, from the late 70s, early 80s with the, you know, guitar that quote unquote ejaculated. And I think that he often used his guitar and particularly the neck of it and the motion that his, your hands make on the neck of the guitar to be... Um, euphemisms for body parts. So, for yep. sure. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Um, the Let Me Have a Debt Worth Winning, I Can Feel Your Ice is Thinning, Like a Frozen Pond in Spring. That feels a little more poetic. I mean, that just kind of tells me that he thinks that she's warming up to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, yeah, then he just <laughs> forget all that poetic, uh, all this poetic language. I'm going to put all that aside now for my next couple of lines about the furry melting thing. So <laughs> <laughs> nice try. Nice try. It's like a for effort for the first few. And then nope, had to, had to go bring it back down to the, the crude level meter. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's like, it's uh, really basic, <laughs> really basic. So yeah, just kind of goes to show that like he can, he can write very uh, descriptive. And as you mentioned, evocative language when he wants to, 
and when he doesn't want to or he doesn't feel like it fits the the song or at least the project that he's you know putting out there he can get crude as hell too so he's got both in him and we knew this we already knew this anyway but this is a great example of it Uh, Cindy, where are you? Come on, Cindy. Come on, Cindy. Don't you want to play with me? Don't you want to play with me? What's the matter with me? And then he's yelling that. So at this point, this is where he, I feel like he sounds a little more deranged. Like he's so distraught that that uh, Cindy is not interested in him, that he's like almost like crying, mm-hmm. yelling and screaming and crying and acting like a spoiled brat. <laughs> yes. Yes. Like he's not getting his way. What's the matter with me, Cindy? Either that or else he feels like so, uh, so um, destroyed by this rejection that it's almost like he's can't rebound from it. Like it's just too much. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's interesting because again, we don't really hear that a lot from him throughout, you know, his entire repertoire, but we get a little hint of it later. Um, in you know thieves of the temple where he's like you know you said you love me you said i was your baby but again that's a very different the song is, is different it's not the same um this sounds like he's chasing her and she's <laughs> terrified and trying to get away and he's just yelling like a maniac so it you know it, it definitely devolves and doesn't really feel like a healthy uh response to rejection no for sure <laughs> Um, and it, it doesn't, it doesn't really, I think maybe a lot of these elements that we're discussing probably contribute to my not feeling much, uh, affection for this song. You know, I don't dislike it, but I certainly don't crave listening to it over and over. You know, it's, it, it's chaotic and it's wild and it's, um, a li- it's uncomfortable. You know, at this point it's like, why is he, because, you know, Normally, if, you know, somebody is rejecting Prince, which, again, is not necessarily something we hear about a lot through his own lens, he kind of goes and does something else. You know, he'll go literally like, I'm just going to go play my guitar. I'm going to go, you know, call someone else. I've got some other girls that I can call. But um, here it's he's very um, insistent and desperate. And I think it's it's interesting because. We don't hear that from him a lot, but again, it, it becomes the way it's played out here. It's really troubling. The more you listen to it, he definitely sounds unhinged. Yeah, and it, it, it's an unhealthy <laughs> obsession, is what it comes yes, across. Yes, yes, an unhealthy obsession. So, and I'm very grateful that throughout pretty much the rest of his career, and even prior to this, there's not a lot of that. You know, you're, no. it's not something that was a recurring theme for him. Yeah. I can't imagine Prince having the the same, uh, level of, of women followers, like not followers, like literally, but like people who listen to his music. If, if a lot of his music was this 
dark and this kind of disturbing, mm-hmm. you know, in terms in terms of his interactions with women. I can imagine yeah. that being a turn like a serious turnoff to his music if this was kind of like the way he presented his his relationships with women um, you know, m- the majority of the time as opposed right. to a very small minority which Cindy C makes up. Right. And we know, I mean, obviously, he was human like everybody else and had his frailties and insecurities like everyone else. And I do feel like as a songwriter and as an artist, he explored those quite a bit in his music. Um, But I also wonder, especially now that we have more um, backstory about the Black Album than we did in, you know, the mid 80s and even in the 90s when it was re-released, if some of what we're hearing is his way of exploring those darker parts of himself that he normally doesn't bring fully to the surface because he did say, and the whole reason he didn't want to put the album out was that it was so dark and it was not what he wanted to be the last thing that people heard of him. And so maybe that's kind of what all of this is. It was the purging of that energy and that space, wherever he was, the anger and, and, frustration and whether or not any of these songs are truly autobiographical or just coming from a different creative mind space, but they are dark and they are edgy in a way that's not innovative so much as it's like, oh, okay, you should speak to someone, you know, like that's for your journal, (laughs) (laughs) public consumption. But in all seriousness, you know, it does, also sound like kind of the, the the working out of that kind of energy in a very unusual space. Whereas, you know, most of us would probably write it down or speak to someone about it. And Prince is yeah. like, well, no, I'm just going to put it on a record. Why not? I put everything else out, put this out too. So. Yeah. And just like a lot of stuff <clears throat> that happens in the moment, it feels like the right thing, but then in the quote unquote sober light of day, you look back like, ah, you know, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I felt I felt okay when I was purging. Like the purging felt really euphoric and healthy. And even though some of the stuff that I was singing about, but I had to get it out of me, and I I got it out of me on these eight songs. But now that I've had a few months or I've had some time to reflect on it, I mean, do, uh, if I had some really kind of dark poems or you know uh, drawing, let's say I was an artist and I had some really kind of evil looking or dark looking or disturbing images that I had drawn or painted. Uh, and then I've had a chance to look at it in, in, in response or, you know, in reflection, I didn't want people to kind of like, that's what you're about now. And anytime you put out a piece of art, that's kind of, that's the latest thing. You know, that's what you're yeah. about. That's now what you're about. It doesn't matter what you did before. You're currently about this. Yes. And so I, I get why he didn't want people to think he was currently about this, even though it might've been healthy for him to get this out here and get this out on, you know, in his music on this album to release it for wide consumption. Maybe uh, in his mind was not what, and I guess that's kind of what he was articulating, I guess, by saying it's not the one thing I want people to remember me by. I don't want it to be my last. If I was to die tomorrow, I don't want this to be my last artistic statement because it it's not really intended to be like where I'm at now. It was where yeah. I was at when I recorded it, but now I'm on to this new thing. So let me just follow that. And that was, of course, Love Sexy. So, yes. Yeah. So thank you for um, kind <laughs> of helping, helping kind of put some 
language to that, you know, as an artist yourself, how that feels to put something out there that may seem dark, but you don't necessarily want everybody to experience it with you as you're creating it. Yeah, I definitely, um, again, think, thinking about it now, you know, all these years after he's left us, I, I would have loved, you know, if, if I had had a chance to talk to him about his music, which was something that I had on my, you know, list of things that I definitely wanted while I was doing a lot of blogging and music journalism, I would have wanted to engage in a conversation with him about processing hurt, you know, because I, we hear it a lot in his music, obviously, but this album in particular, you know, considering where it falls, you know, after, after the dissolution of the revolution and all of these other things that have kind of happened between 86 and 88, all of that, it seems like there's a lot of stuff that he's exorcising here on the Black Album. And I just think it would have been interesting to have been able to hear directly from him in a more direct manner than what he did offer about the Black Album at the time as to where those songs came from and why he decided to record them and, and what really you know, changed his mind about putting it out even though it came out anyway, you know? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, that would be, that would have made for a very, very fascinating interview. And ultimately, uh, you know, I think a lot of us have the same questions and we would have loved to know that. Absolutely. Uh, so there's one last really kind of piece of lyrics for the song. I'm actually not going to read it because, first of all, one, it's it's a rap by Cat. Cat Glover does this rap. Mm -hmm. this music, music is the key to set yourself free. Rap uh, number two. I guess it's the the story goes. This is plagiarized, so it's not mm -hmm. even it's not even written by Prince or Cat. It's um it's from a song from an artist named J M Silk called mm -hmm. "Music Is the Key" that was released uh, in 1985. So I, there's like a house version, and then there's mm -hmm. a, a shorter version. And the house version is the one that contains this rap in it. So. Uh, Back when this song was recorded, I guess the way the story goes, Prince did not know that this was not an original uh, rap that was written and recorded for the song. He didn't, I guess, realize that this was kind of lifted from this uh, Music is the Key song. And so when the Black Album did not come out, he must have liked this enough to have it or thought it was going to be part of the Love Sexy album, as included with the song Positivity. But then, but then, you know, that album was supposed to come out. It's like, wait, wait a second. This is actually a rap that's been done before. And so, if you're going to put this on here, we got to give this musician royalties and yada yada yada, get his permission. Um, so they just scrapped the whole thing. But yeah, that's it, it's a little interesting, like footnote to this rap. So Cat did have to change. So a couple lines I'll I'll read here because in the in the rap he goes the beat won't stop till the JM rocks, 
which back when we were listening to the, when I was listening to this and I had no idea who JM Silk was or music is the key. Of course, I didn't know what JM meant for or stood for. Yeah, because me neither. Me neither. This cat <laughs> could have been CG, you know, if it's cat or, you know, PRN for Prince Rogers Nelson. But she says the JM jocks because that was not uh, a line that was, you know, changed to fit the, the, you know, the song. But that's, of course, referring to the original writers. And then the last line of the song. So to ease your mind and set yourself free to the mystifying music that we call Sin DC. And then that, of course, is not part of the original song. It, what it was, how it ends is the mystifying music that we call the key. So that was an easy, you know, one for one switch there uh, to, to make it fit the song Sin DC. But everything else is pretty much the same from the rap from the music is the key. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, were, were you familiar you weren't familiar with that song back in the day were you? no not at all okay. I had no real understanding or even exposure to house music until sometime in the 90s probably you know um, much later so probably like a lot of people who were ignorant at the time I figured that Cat or Prince wrote that rap and I actually loved that part of the song because one, the the music changes. You get the, the the horn swell and kind of a different feeling. It feels more positive. It feels light when the whole rest of the song does not. <laughs> but in the context of the song, it's bizarre because it does not fit the rest of the song. Nope. Um, until you get to the end, to your point, where she references Cindy C. What I'm curious about is, you know, it's, it's a great rap, you know, and Kat delivers it very convincingly, which I think is part of the reason that those of us who had never heard of the song previously were not, would never even have thought that it was from some other source. But how did she not know that that was probably not the best thing to do, um, you know, to take a whole, because it's not even like just, you know, it's not even like, it's just Kat saying music is the key and Prince just looped it. You know, it's, it's literally the entire piece of text from mm -hmm. another written and recorded piece of intellectual property. And it's fascinating to me that she wouldn't have known as an artist not to do that. Um, it's not necessarily unusual that Prince didn't have, you know, familiarity with the song. He didn't know everything. But again, it's just weird that at no point during any of this, did anybody say, did, you know, who wrote this or where did this come from? Um, yeah. You know, until it, it gets back around to potentially being included in positivity on Love Sexy, which try, I'm trying to think of how that would have even sounded and it doesn't seem like that would have been cool. So, um, you know, I, I, like the, I like that part of the song because again, it changes the energy of the song. But um, at the same time, it's a very bizarre revelation that it was lifted from a whole other piece of work not credited not acknowledged that it didn't belong to um the creators of this work and then you know it's just kind of an afterthought it's a it's a very strange thing um especially for somebody like prince again who was always so staunchly aware even before his the era of you know the symbol and the back and forth with Warner Brothers, who, you know, seem to really always have a very clear understanding of ownership and, and 
that kind of you know musical integrity for there to be a whole piece of someone else's song that was inserted into his without credit and without acknowledgement is is really strange it is even if it was not intentional you know even but again you know cat knew that that was not her lyrics. Oh, right right <laughs> like she <laughs> No. It'd be like if I go into the studio and I'm going to sing a hook on somebody's song and I just start singing, I, I want to be your lover. And that person, because they might be Gen Z, and so they've never heard, <laughs> I want to be your lover. But I know that I didn't write that song. You know, yeah. that's, that's weird. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and, and <laughs> putting it on a Prince song as if, as if this artist, J.M. Silk, was never going to hear it and not be like, oh, wait. <laughs> That's not Prince's. He didn't write that. Where did that come from? Uh, <laughs> it was going to come back and bite him in the ass eventually if this would have came out as planned. So it was maybe for the best. But uh, anyway, um, it is neither here nor there. It's just one of the, I, I don't know. I chalk it up to a whole lot of naivety and uh, maybe some ignorance to, you know, I mean, Cat was a dancer. She just kind of got thrust into music business. But um, maybe she just wasn't. Uh, as astute in terms of like some of these copyright laws and just you know sure. intellectual property and stuff like that. I don't I, I'm just making up I'm just making up stuff I have no idea yeah I, I don't necessarily think that it was an intentional oh I'm just gonna I, you know it's like oh I was inspired by this so I'm just gonna drop it in because if you think about it you know if 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 they had been performing this song live it would have been totally uh, normal, really, to interpolate something else into it. You know, I do that all the time in live shows. There are songs where um, my band and I used to do uh, Marvin Gaye's Inner City Blues, and there's a part where they're just kind of, you know, playing the groove, and I drop in the chorus of the Rainbow Children, because it works. You know, it's just kind of to fill the space is a really interesting ad-lib. And we do that in live performance. But to go into the studio and record it that way, it's like that that's <laughs> it's a whole other conversation. And yeah. again, I don't necessarily think that Kat was, you know, deliberately doing anything deceptive, but it's just it's like, but you know you didn't write that and probably maybe should have said some maybe. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Bottom line, yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay. Well that pretty much it brings us to the end of the song then, Rhonda. Uh, he print he Prince will then say, uh, oh, Cindy C, won't you play with me one last time before transitioning to the next song in the album? So I have no more lyrics to really kind of speak about or talk to. So do you have any final thoughts on the song that we haven't already covered? No. Um, you know, despite it being a little bit lyrically um, bizarre and uh, cringy at points, I still think that it's a fun song to dance to. Um, and it, and I, I appreciate that it's a song that exists that kind of makes you have to ask some higher level <laughs> questions about Prince and his thought process and his writing process, because it, it is a little bit of a departure from what we have in the rest of his repertoire. But again, I think that within the context of the Black album and the themes that he was potentially exploring with those songs, it does, it fits right in. Mm hmm. Yep, I agree with that. I agree with that. It fits right in on this album. I'm glad he didn't like try to take it and put it on a different album because I don't think it would have made the same impact and it would no. really would have stuck out like a sore thumb on Love Sexy. <laughs> Can you imagine the song Beyond Love Sexy? I can't. No. <laughs> no, not at all. I can't think of anywhere where any of these other songs 
would have made sense. Like I would really have to spend some time listening to each of them and thinking, where else could this have gone where it would have actually made some kind of creative sense or but nah, you know. Yeah. When two are in love is the only one, of course, and that's the only one he did. So correct. Absolutely. Okay. Well, Rhonda, where can people find you? Do you have anything you want to promote on the show at this point? Oh, well, thank you. Um, I have tons of music out there in the universe. Um, it's on all of the popular streaming services and on Bandcamp. Bandcamp, that sounded like cap. Um, <laughs> so if you go on to that website and search Rhonda Nicole, you'll find me. Um, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, so I'm everywhere. Rhonda Nicole Music. Um, and rondanicole.com is my website, so that might be the easiest place to go and find all of the um, relevant links for where my music and thoughts exist on the internet. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Rhonda, for joining me on this episode. Thank it's wonderful you. Uh, bouncing this weird, weird-ass song around with you. Uh, I think we we did it justice, and hopefully uh, Cindy Crawford will someday listen to this episode and like, yeah. It's a weird song. <laughs> it's a weird <laughs> yes. song. I, I don't know if I'm flattered or creeped out by it, but it's a weird <laughs> song. For sure, for sure. Thank you, um, as always, for having me on. I always enjoy uh, having the chance to, to chat with you and talk about Prince's music. So this has been great. You're welcome so much. This has been the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics Podcast. I've been your host, Jason Brenninger. You can follow the show at Press Rewind Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We've got shows on YouTube, so check it out there. And until next time... Goodbye.